Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 171 of Dogcast Radio. In this episode, we'll be hearing about flat coat retrievers from Flat Coat Walkies organiser Peter de Klerk. Yeah, they're a breed on their own. It's, it's, you can't compare them to Labradors. You can't really compare them to Setters or um, Golden Retrievers. It's, it's still something separate. If you enjoy this show, don't forget that you can find this and all our previous shows and much more at our website, www.dogcastradio.com. Our first interview today is with Pat Miller, who was a humane officer at the Marin Humane Society in California for over 20 years, before qualifying as a CPDT trainer and opening her own training establishment, Peaceable Paws. She is also the training editor of the Whole Dog Journal. Pat is the author of How to Foster Dogs, From Homeless to Homeward Bound. Fostering dogs is very important, but is still quite misunderstood, so I thought it would be a great opportunity to uncover the truth with Pat. We dived straight into the heart of the matter, establishing exactly what fostering a dog is. Fostering is providing temporary housing and care for a dog who is in difficult straits for one reason or another. He may, um, you may be fostering for a shelter, you may be fostering for a rescue group, um, and there's even a, a group of people who foster, for example, for dogs whose owners are in the military and have to go overseas and can't take their dogs with them. So there's a lot of different um, applications for fostering. Yeah, yeah. And then the idea is that, you know, not only do you fo- provide an environment for a dog that's much healthier than a shelter, not that shelters are bad, but they're stressful for Mm. dogs. And Mm. so any dog, I mean, even the best shelter in the world is a stressful place for dogs. So you're providing um, temporary housing and care for a dog who um, might otherwise not thrive in the shelter environment. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it is a a hugely important um, thing to do. And it's not just, as you you say, it's not just sort of... um, rescue dogs that are looking for a uh, forever home although the, you know there there is that but sort of fosterers we we um, met a couple thinking back we met a couple who were um fosterers for uh, guide dogs and yes yeah guide and, dog puppies yeah right well not just for puppies though they, these were sort of um you know for example i think they they were looking after a guide dog who was a working guide dog whose owner had had to go in for an emergency um appendectomy and right. So, yes. of course, suddenly the dog needed looking after. And it's, that would be such an important thing to do for that person to know that their guide dog is being well looked after. So it's actually a really, mm-hmm. really worthwhile thing to do, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. It, it, it saves lives. Um, and that it, it, it just increases the reach of a shelter or rescue group or other organization that's helping dogs. It, it enables them to help so many more dogs um, when they don't have to always be in shelters. Yeah, yeah. Because as you say, it's a stressful environment, and I imagine some, some dogs will cope with that, you know, better than mm-hmm. others. But, I mean, for, for, Absolutely. Yeah, for a dog, if they get too stressed and they just sort of shut down, and I've been to rescue centres and sort of seen that dog who just lies at the back of the, 
you know, his kennel and just barely looks up at you and seems to have lost all joie de vivre. And um, mm-hmm. it, it's just horrible to see. So fostering, I imagine, would be a boon for dogs like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No doubt. Yeah. Okay. So you've, you've mentioned um, fostering so for um, organizations and that they, you know, many organizations, um, you know, um, whether that's guide dogs or whether it's a, a shelter, will have a, um, a process uh, in, in, in place for sort of how to find their fosters and, and the, the agreement they have with them. Um, mm-hmm. so, so what can you expect if you're, if you're fostering for, you know, whether that be a shelter or whatever organization you're, mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. fostering for, what, what can you expect from them? Well, so here's part of the challenge, mm-hmm. um, at least in the U.S., and I suspect it's similar in other in other parts of the world, there is not one, it's not like Boy Scouts here where every Boy Scout troop is under Boy Scouts of America and they all follow the same rules and the same procedures. Every shelter group and every rescue group here is its own entity with its own policies and procedures. Mm. So part of the challenge of fostering is first finding a shelter or rescue group that you're comfortable working with because um, some of them are terrific and some of them not so much. Um, And some of them may have policies that you agree with and some may have policies that you can't live with. So you really want to research the organization um, before you sign on the dotted line and go through their training procedures or their training process and, and um, start fostering dogs for them. Yeah, yeah. Some of the, some of the really simple differences are um, some shelters and rescue groups pay all the expenses. They pay for the food while the dog's in your care. If the dog needs vet care, they pay for that. If the dog needs training or um, consulting with a behavior professional, they pay for that. Some expect you to pay for all that. Gosh, so, so that's it is a lot. There's a big difference there, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, another really important consideration is insurance. Good groups um, provide insurance for their volunteers, so that you know not just if you get hurt by the dog you're caring for, but or if the dog is um, you know bites someone or escapes and causes a traffic accident of some kind, you don't want it to be your homeowner's insurance that's paying for for those things so you want to make sure the group has an insurance policy that covers volunteers yeah yeah so there's a lot of things actually i mean although obviously it is a a very worthwhile and and rewarding thing to do Mm -hmm. you need Mm -hmm. to know what responsibilities you're taking on whether you want to work you know help that particular organization or and do you exactly do you sort of go into that in more detail in the book I do, yeah. Yeah, great, great. Because obviously there, there's much, much more than we could cover in a phone call anyway. Um, but, you know, people do need to know that kind of thing because nobody wants to think about the worst, you know, happening, the dog becoming ill or, you know, injuring somebody else or whatever. But right, these right. are things you need to have in place just in case it happens. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Now, I imagine then, uh, that's that's when you're sort of, helping out an organization which I imagine may well have its its own policies in place 
I would imagine where it gets a little bit more murkier and possibly, you know, where you can really get to falling out with people is if you, if you do an informal arrangement with, with a friend to look after their dog for a while. So mm-hmm, what, mm-hmm. Would, <laughs> what would your advice be there? Uh, even with a friend, I would recommend that you put some things in writing. Yes. About, yeah. you know, what your responsibilities are and, and what your powers are. Um, things like, you know, if your friend is incapacitated and the dog needs vet care and you try to run the dog to the vet and the vet says, wait a minute, this isn't your dog, I need the owner's permission to do that. And you say, wait, 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 I can't, you know, the owner's in surgery right now or, you know, I can't reach the owner right now. So, you know, not only who's paying for whatever happens while I'm caring for your dog, but um, anytime we go out of town and use pet sitters, we leave, we let our vets know so that if something comes up, they're already aware that there are pet sitters caring for the dogs. And then we leave a letter you know, a to whom it may concern letter, yeah. so-and-so has, you know, authorization, and we will pay for um, any care that the dog needs while we're gone. Yeah, yeah. And it is hugely important. I mean, I'm very lucky in that my, my mum steps in and looks after our dogs. And she mm-hmm. sort of, you know, we've talked things through, and she knows my um, attitudes. But yes, you're right. I, I hadn't thought of sort of actually, I, th- I think in most cases she would have met my vet, but not, not every vet of the practice. So actually, yes, it's mm-hmm. a great idea to, to let the vet know, you know. Um, but I mean, for example, there's, there's um, um, a, a friend of mine who, who has a dog who recently had to, um, she had to find um, foster care, very briefly. Um, and he's an older dog and he has a, a heart condition. Um, mm. And it's that kind of thing where, I mean, unfortunately it's that kind of time when you need fostering sometimes when as the person who might step step in and foster you think I don't want to raise awkward questions here and say look if something happens what what are your wishes it's a difficult question to raise isn't it in some circumstances yeah 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 no we were we uh were just traveling when we went to New Zealand Hmm. and um we had a 14 year old Pomeranian who'd had some health issues in the past yeah um and was actually doing really well, considering for the moment. And then two weeks before we left, he died. And, you know, it, you never, it's always hard. I don't care how long you've had dogs. Oh, it's yeah. always impossibly hard yeah. to lose them. But I was grateful that that didn't happen while we were gone. Yes, yeah. Because, I, and the same thing if you're, you know, if you're fostering for a friend or an organization what happens if there's an emergency in the middle of the night? What are the organization's instructions? Are you authorized to go to the emergency clinic, which we all know is not inexpensive? No, no. Um, or do, is there a phone number where you can contact somebody from the rescue group in the middle of the night if there's an emergency? So, yeah. yep, yeah. all things to think about. Mm. And again, as I say, not, not nice things to contemplate, but you, you've got to have your ducks in a row kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, so... Sometimes the dogs that sort of need um, fostering then may have uh, particular needs. Um, so right. why, you know, in, in certain circumstances, why might it be so important for a dog to be fostered? And what kind of issues, you know, might be involved? Well, uh, you know, the whole gamut, <laughs> anything <laughs> dogs can do, you might run into with a foster dog. But, but what I was going to say is once be it, you get beyond, you know, determining what foster group is appropriate for you, then there's also um, making sure that the dogs that are selected for you to foster are appropriate for you. Mm. 
So it may be that a dog has behavioral needs that are beyond what you are able to meet. That is, you know, maybe there's some behavior modification that needs to happen and you don't have experience or skill in that area, then that dog needs to go to a foster home with someone who can work with the dog in a way that's going to help him improve his behavior while he's in foster care. And it might be some things that are, you know, more basic like chewing or not house trained, um, you know, a little bit destructive in the home, those kinds of things that perhaps you are qualified to work with. Um, but you need to be aware that there may be things that you need to work with. This is it's likely not as simple as simply saying, oh, you know, I'm going to bring him home. He's going to get along fine with my dogs. You know, we're just going to babysit him for a few weeks until there's room at the shelter for him or until, you know, the adopter comes along. There there are frequently things that are more, more complex than that. Yeah, yeah. But, of course, if you help the dog through those issues and hopefully with with help mm-hmm. you know from from the trainer or behaviorist that the shelter recommends mm-hmm. then the dog mm-hmm. has a much much better chance of that that long-term home doesn't he yes not only of finding uh, his adoptive home but succeeding in his adoptive home even if you don't fix the problems one of the things about dogs in shelters is you really don't know who that dog is mm. you know they're under they're under stress and they're in a kennel, so you don't see what their normal behaviors might be. And as much as a shelter might do behavior assessments, and even those are now under some controversy because there's no science behind them, but um, you know, a good shelter or rescue group will gather as much information as they can about a dog, but that's never the same as seeing that dog in a real-life environment and discovering things about him that you can pass on to prospective adopters that can help set him up to succeed. Yeah, yeah. And again, that's so important, isn't it? Because it's it's hugely irresponsible of any rescue organization to sort of just go, here's a dog. We don't really know it. Have you got children? Have you got old people? You know, whatever. Here's here's a dog. Just see how you get on. Yeah, good luck. Yes. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) Yes, you'll probably all survive. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Not how we want it to. I hope so. Yeah. Interestingly, as you're talking about that, because sometimes when you have an issue with your own dog, um, it can seem overwhelming. And I think some of that is because you know you and that dog are locked into that situation. There's no walking away. You know, you've got to come up with a, or, you know, you can obviously with the help of a trainer or behaviors, but ultimately mm-hmm. the responsibility is yours to. Mm-hmm get out of that situation with that dog, you know, and get everybody through it. But I would imagine with a foster dog, you know, potentially, you know, at some point, this in, in some way or another, you know, either the dog is going to the, the rescue, the shelter, or it's going to its forever home. Or, so I would imagine mm-hmm. some of the stress may be taken out of that. And it might give you a, an, an enthusiasm for it, possibly, to solve that problem. Yeah, and a different perspective. Yeah, mm. that I can, I can fix this and then I, and I don't have to live with it. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Yes, interesting. I've never sure. thought of that before. Yeah, that's that's a good good way of looking at it. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like having you know your niece and nephew visit. You don't have children of your own. You go, oh, it's great. They visit for you yes. know two weeks, and then I don't have to live with them. Yes, yes. And I can spend as much time as I like playing, and I know they're going home. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now you mentioned briefly there, sort of a hugely important thing. Um, if you've already got a dog or dogs. How, yes. how do you bring this, this foster dog into the home and make sure they're all going to be happy? 
Well, a number of a number of things, and that is a a big topic and a very important one. Um, if you have what what I will call a home dog, who doesn't get along well with other dogs, don't foster. Yeah, yeah. It's not fair. It's not fair to your home dog because it will be very stressful for her, and it's not fair to the foster dogs to be coming into an environment where they could have a traumatic experience um, because that sets them up to not succeed in the future. So if you know you have a dog who doesn't tolerate well having your friend's dogs visit or, you know, encountering other dogs out in the real world, then look for other ways to help shelter dogs and rescue dogs. Mm. Yeah. Having said that, um, if you do have a dog who's good with other dogs and you think will kind of enjoy having um, visitors, then I like to do introductions in neutral territory, Mm. Um, which means, you know, if you have a friend who has a fenced backyard or hopefully the shelter or rescue group has an area that's sort of neutral territory for everybody and you can take your dog to meet this dog prior to bringing him home to foster. So that that first, you know, sometimes uh, tense encounter can happen somewhere else. Yes, yeah. And then if it doesn't go well, you then have, you know, much more latitude to say, I I don't think this is the right foster uh, foster dog for me right now. Is there a different dog I could foster? Because even dogs who get along well with other dogs don't necessarily get along well with all other dogs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... So if you can sort of do that matchup or, or that kind of test um, before you bring your foster dog home, that's even better. Yeah. Um, other than that, the way I like to introduce two new dogs are in a large fenced area with one dog at the far side. The other dog comes in the gate. Both dogs are on leash. And you watch their behavior as they become aware of each other and you start to walk toward the other dog, and as long as everything looks good, I mean, you can be excited because they're excited to see another dog, but happy, excited, nothing that makes you go, mm, I don't think this is a good idea. Yeah. Uh, then I like to get about six feet apart, and assuming all is still going well, then drop leashes and let the dogs interact for a minute or two with dragging the leashes um, so that if something goes awry... It's easy to grab leashes and separate them without yeah. getting human body parts in, in between the two dogs. Yeah, yeah. You've done this before, and, haven't you, Pat? You uh-huh, really a few times. <laughs> <laughs> a few times. And then at that point, assuming all is going well, then I'll take leashes off and let them play. Yeah, yeah. And I would imagine if if you've got the right sort of um, home dog, as you say, um, that that could be your best friend and the foster dog's best friend in in seeing the way forward and showing him how to behave. Sure, yeah, absolutely. A, a good example. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And then, then there's the whole issue of, okay, they're doing well in the yard or in the neutral area. Now we're going to bring this new dog into your home dog's territory. So... You do all the really, you know, one would think obvious, but not always the case, smart things like you keep them separated when you're not home. Yeah. You just don't want something to happen, 
you know, when nobody's there to, to play referee if, if that's needed. You feed them, either feed them in separate areas or at least play traffic cop when you feed them so that if one finishes first, um, he's not running over and trying to chase the other one out of their food so that mm. you don't have battles over, you know, whose, whose bowl is this? really important to make sure that you continue to give your own dog one-on-one time so that he or she doesn't end up, you know, with his nose out of joint because, you know, you, he used to be the only dog getting yes. your attention and now um, he has to share you. So, mm. yeah. so I mean, those I, kinds of things are yeah. important. Yeah. I was just thinking a friend, a, a friend of, of, it was actually a friend of my mum's, um, sort of um, looked at when we had um, Buddy and Star, who luckily got along really well. But she sort of said, oh, I, I do think about getting a second dog. She had a dog already. She said, but I think he'd be jealous. And it's, uh, it's finding the balance with your dog, isn't it? I mean, Buddy and Buddy was sort of all a, a big, he's a big, you know, ball of silly and <laughs> never minded having another dog around and luckily star took to that as well but if as you mm-hmm. say if you know your dog is very protective of you and wouldn't welcome that it's just not worth doing is it right okay so right. if if we follow all your advice um and and we we do the fostering you know correctly and we, we put in place the training we need as much as we can you know um there's going to come the day which we've worked towards but it's going to be sad in some ways when you're going to say goodbye to that foster dog. So mm-hmm. how, do, how do we deal with that? Okay, so um, one thing, again, when you're interviewing groups to determine who you want to work with, um, you could find out if this group has a policy that allows you to be involved with the placement, to help with the placement decision and to help with handing off the dog, which I think is a healthy thing. Mm. Um, because, again, you are going to have information that you can share with the the dog's new humans. And I think it makes it less stressful for the dog to go directly from you to the new home versus having to go back to the kennel, having to go back to the shelter, getting stressed all over again, yeah. and now dealing with that level of stress when he transitions to his new home. So if you can... Um, I mean, my ideal picture is the dog who's done well in his foster home is now ready to be adopted. The new home is, is found for him. And I know a lot of fosters, you know, a lot of rescue groups will have like adoption events at a mall or, you know, outside a pet supply store or something. And if you can take the dog there, meet the people and be a part of the adoption decision, I think that's really healthy. Mm, And then in terms of, um, the emotion, it's a loss, even though, you know, it's the exact outcome that we wanted. Um, it's a loss, and it's important to acknowledge that and know that it will hurt and know that that's perfectly normal. And um, I actually have a little booklet that I wrote on pet loss titled, It's Okay to Cry. And so my advice on this would be the same thing. It's okay to cry. It's okay to, you know, to find it bittersweet yeah. that that your foster is going to a new home and to know that, you know, now you have room to help another one. Yeah, yeah. I saw an interesting thing online the other day, and I don't know how we'd answer the question, but the question was, given the choice... 
would you prefer to give one dog a thousand good days or a thousand dogs one good day? Mm. Yeah, and yeah, I, I have not good. been able to answer that for myself. No, no. That's, um... But what, what the foster parent can do is give, you know, multiple dogs limited number of good, good days in their own home because they're going to get more good days elsewhere. Yes. Um, as opposed to what some people call a foster failure, although I call it a foster success, <laughs> when the dog ends up staying in his foster home because the foster home has just decided this is a dog they can't live without. Yeah. And it's okay to do that, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, yeah. it's okay to do that, too, recognizing that the more often you do that, the more it limits your options for future fostering. Yeah, yeah. But as as you say, as as not all dogs get along with all dogs, you know there are some dogs mm-hmm. you meet and you just go, oh, this this dog is for me, you know, and and that's it, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Oh. There's some brilliant advice there, Pat. Thanks ever so much. Um, where can people find out more about uh, the book, uh, How to Foster Dogs? Uh, it's on our website at um, www.peaceablepaws.com. Mm-hmm. It's available direct from the publisher, which is dogwise.com. Great. And you probably know better than I what outlets in Britain um, might already have access to. Yeah, yeah. I think I, it's on. Um, I think Amazon might be the best way, but I will find. I will okay. Yes, yeah, certainly. <laughs> it's, certainly, you can get it from Amazon. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. yeah and I will pop it on. And um, if pa- you get it from my website, I yeah. will sign it for you. Ooh, there you <laughs> go. There's an offer you can't refuse. Okay, great. Um, and where can people find out more about you, Pat? Oh, probably again on the website. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably the best place. Okay. We'll we'll put a big link to that then. <laughs> For the book, there and you go. Pat. Yeah, smash it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do have. Should mention, I do have a new book coming out this probably end of the summer on canine aggression called "Beware of the Dog." Oh right. Okay. So that's coming up. Okay. So I, we might have to talk again then, Pat. Yes, we might have to. <laughs> <laughs> might be forced to. <laughs> oh, twist my arm. Go ahead. Twist yes. my arm. Okay, I will. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Again, another great subject that you know it, it's um, it's a difficult one to deal with, isn't it? Because I, when your dog is aggressive towards another dog, you, there's so many emotions that it throws up. So it is a, a complicated area to deal with. So another good. It one is. To yeah, it is complicated, and especially because I mean, part of the premise premise of that book is that our culture is oversensitized to canine aggression, and that we need to back off a little bit and not get upset just because dogs are being dogs. Yeah, yeah. When we overreact to behavior that we're calling aggression, it can often make it worse. Yeah, yeah. There's a little sneak preview. preview. Okay, <laughs> yes, I've got the scoop there. <laughs> okay, thanks ever so much, Pat. That's, that's been really good advice. Thank you. You're very welcome. So there you go. Fostering is a boon to many dogs and can make a difference to the chances a dog in rescue has of getting a forever home. We have links on the Dogcast Radio site to the Peaceable Paws site where you can find more information about Pat and get a signed copy of her book. If you have experience of fostering, we'd love to hear from you. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. 
you ever read a book and think, no, it shouldn't happen like that? Well, check out the latest innovation in romantic fiction, Macy's Choice, which puts you in charge of the plot as you make life-changing decisions on the main character's behalf. At the end of each chapter in Macy's Choice, there are always two options, and you choose what happens next. With over a million and a half words, that's over 5,000 pages, 256 chapters, and 128 different endings, Macy's Choice is an e-book you can reread again and again, making new choices each time to vary your experience to find love with each of the three heroes. To find out more, visit macyschoice.com. That's M-A-C-I-E-S-C-H-O-I-C-E dot com or search for Macy's Choice on Amazon. Dogs have better low-light vision than humans thanks to a special light-reflecting layer behind their retinas called a tapetum lucidum. Honesty, a short story by Julie Hill. Most people didn't tend to like Peggy. That didn't bother Peggy much, because she didn't tend to like most people. What Peggy disliked most about people was the way they treated their dogs. What put people off Peggy was that she wasn't afraid to tell people the truth. So when her sister, Eleanor, said that her children were driving her so mad begging to have a dog that she was thinking of giving in, Peggy asked Eleanor whether she really understood the realities of having a dog. Irritated, Eleanor fired off a retort about Peggy having no idea about the realities of having a child, and if she did, she'd understand how much of a responsibility that was. Infuriated, Peggy spent several minutes explaining that a dog was a huge undertaking which could last for several years, involving time, effort, energy, worry, heartache and money. Peggy pointed out the fact that Eleanor's kids would most likely lose their enthusiasm and the day-to-day -day care of the dog would become their mother's duty. She went into depth about how a dog needed walking every day and mental stimulation on top of that. She detailed the training, feeding and grooming requirements. Eventually, Eleanor snapped, Well, what on earth do you have dogs for, then? Peggy regarded her with astonishment. Because they're wonderful. They're loving and always there for me, but... You don't have time for one. You won't love it. The children don't understand what they're asking for, and there's a good chance the poor dog will end up in rescue. Eleanor shook her head, shrugging, but she didn't get a dog. Within a week, the children were petitioning for the latest computer game instead, and Peggy felt she had saved some poor dog from a lot of heartache. When a friend of Peggy's mentioned that her dog didn't listen to her, Peggy suggested that perhaps she needed to make herself more interesting to the dog. Her friend maintained that her dog was stupid and stubborn and deliberately ignored her at times. Peggy was offended on the dog's behalf. Pointing out how intelligent dogs are and that they usually want to please their people, Peggy told her friend how effective reward-based training methods were. Producing her phone, she played some videos of her own dog, performing tasks like a recall, a fetch, and even some simple heelwork to music moves. While insisting that her own dog would never manage any of that, Peggy's friend took the details of the trainer Peggy went to and was amazed when it turned out that, with the right training methods, her dog was responsive and very clever. When Peggy's work colleague complained that his dog was destroying his house while he was out at work, Peggy suggested employing a dog walker and using distraction toys. 
Her colleague claimed it would be too expensive and rolled his eyes when Peggy argued that it would be cheaper than repairing all the damage his dog was causing. Despite his cynicism, her colleague tried her advice and was astounded at the difference having a dog walker take his dog out each day made. When a neighbour proudly showed off her designer crossbreed puppy and informed Peggy how expensive the dog had been, Peggy merely asked whether the breeder had health-tested the puppy's parents. The neighbour waved away Peggy's concerns, asserting that of course such an expensive dog would have been health-tested. She moaned bitterly to her husband that Peggy hadn't appreciated the cuteness and cost of the pup. But three days later, it was Peggy who drove her neighbour to an emergency vet when the puppy was taken seriously ill. She held her sobbing neighbour's hand while the vet explained that the tiny dog had an inherited condition that would affect him severely for the rest of his probably short life. Of course, all any of them remembered later was that Peggy was difficult and was too honest to be completely comfortable around. But it was on the park and ride bus one day when things really came to a head. It was summer, and the sun blazed through the windows of the overcrowded bus, causing everyone to feel overheated and uncomfortable. One of the passengers was an adorable puppy who was clutched on the lap of a young girl sitting beside her mother. The dog attracted Peggy's attention straight away from where she stood in the aisle, and her heart melted at the sight of the sweet dog. Peggy recognized the breed as a Saint Bernard and knew that one day this scrap of a pup. Would be a huge, powerful dog. She smiled as she thought of the fun the girl and dog had in store, but the smile froze when she saw the girl lift her hand and pull the dog's small pink tongue, which was hanging from its mouth as it panted in the heat. Every instinct in Peggy was to push through the crowded aisle of the bus and tell the girl not to do that. As she watched, though, the mother turned to her daughter and clearly spoke sharply to her. Peggy relaxed. But kept an eye on the child. Within a minute, the dog was panting heavily again. The girl raised her hand and pushed the dog's lower jaw closed, amused when the little pink tongue retracted quickly to avoid being caught in the sharp puppy teeth. The need to cool down soon had the puppy panting again, and once more the girl pushed the dog's mouth closed, laughing when the tiny tongue once more swiftly disappeared. Twice more this happened, and Peggy was beside herself on the dog's behalf. She felt some of the tension ebb from her body when the mother told her daughter off again. Within another minute, though, the girl found a new way to amuse herself, pulling the dog's ears, causing the small round head to turn abruptly from side to side in an effort to both see what was hurting him and pull his ear free. Peggy could bear it no more and began to make her way down the bus, squeezing between fellow passengers. By the time she arrived beside the woman and her daughter, the little girl was still tormenting the puppy, while her mother focused on her phone. Leaning over the mother, Peggy drew in a deep breath and tried to keep control of her anger. "What a lovely dog," she said pleasantly. The mother's eyes drifted briefly up to Peggy's face from her phone, and she nodded vaguely while the girl looked up and smiled smugly. "She's mine." "Hmm." Said Peggy, maintaining an affable smile with a valiant effort. "I bet you love her. I do," simpered the little girl. "Look what she can do," she said, her hand poised to push the small dog's jaw closed again. "Don't do that." A harsh tone crept into Peggy's voice, and as the child's hand stilled, the mother glanced up with surprise. 
Peggy once more attempted to suppress her rage, saying apparently calmly, "It's so hot. I'm sweating. Are you?" "Yes," said the child. "My T-shirt's all damp." "Well, your puppy's hot too, and he doesn't sweat like us. The best way for him to cool himself down is to pant." Peggy explained slowly and clearly. The girl stared at her dog with a new understanding. "Do you see now how cruel it is to make him shut his mouth?" Peggy asked. And the child nodded. "I've told her not to do it," the mother said sullenly, clearly annoyed both with her daughter and this interfering stranger. The girl was already in search of a new entertainment. "Look what I can make him do!" Before Peggy could stop her, the girl tugged the dog's ear, and he turned his head sharply. Peggy knew this was a head whip and a warning signal from the dog, but it was clear from the girl's smirk and her mother's ineffective eye roll that neither of them did. Glancing out of the bus window, Peggy realized that they were almost back to the car park where they would all disembark from the bus, and her chance to help this dog would have slipped away. Taking a deep, steadying breath, she said, "If you do love your dog, you must stop closing his mouth when he's hot and pulling his ears like that." What business is it of yours? The mother demanded, her gaze finally fully leaving her phone and settling on Peggy. It's none of my business, Peggy admitted. It's yours, and it will be your business when your dog is fully grown and can stand no more of this abuse. It will be your business when he bites your daughter. It will be your business to take her to hospital, and it will be your business to explain to her why the dog has been put to sleep. That means killed. She explained, seeing a puzzled expression pucker the child's brow, and it's your business to see that none of that actually happens. She said to the mother, aware that around her some people were staring at her, while others were beginning to file out of the now parked bus. If you do love your dog, Peggy spoke kindly to the little girl, who looked genuinely shocked. Learn how to understand and make him happy. With that, Peggy strode from the bus and back to her car. Some of the passengers on the bus agreed with what Peggy had said to the mother and daughter, and liked her for it. Some disagreed and took a dislike to Peggy. Peggy herself couldn't have cared less what they thought of her, because she knew in her heart that she had done the best she could for that poor dog. Most people didn't tend to like Peggy. Most dogs, in contrast, tended to take to her right away, and that was absolutely fine with Peggy. The Lunderhund is an unusual breed, having at least six toes on each foot and being able to close its ears to protect the ear canal. Isn't it funny how we get attached to one particular breed? Well, my next guest did just that when he fell in love with flat coat retrievers. So enthusiastic is Peter de Klerk about the breed that he even started FlatcoatWalkies.co.uk. And here he is to tell you more about exactly what Flatcoat Walkies is. Flatcoat Walkies started as a group、uh, on Facebook where people could just organise walks. It just started、uh, just as a small group、uh, somewhere down south because I used to live、um, in Sussex. So it was just a group where we could meet up with other flatcoat owners. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically what it is. It's simple, but that's just the format. It's just meeting up with different people of the、uh, that have the same breed in common. Yeah, because I would imagine. I mean, I, when you know what a, a flat coat retriever looks like, you do spot 
quite a few out and about. But I would imagine it's, it, there's not that many flat coat retrievers, or, or are there? But put me straight, how many are there around? Not that many, um, especially in Norfolk. When I, when I moved here uh, two years ago, we started with just the two people. Oh. And then uh, the group started to grow, and our maximum 20 uh, people, but still, it's still difficult. But people don't know the breed that well, like you say. Yeah. And if you come across other people, they think, oh, that's a, a set across, or is that a long-haired Labrador? We always have to put them straight. You know, it's a flat, coated retriever. Yeah, yeah. Because they are a very striking-looking dog, aren't they? Well, I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I will, of course, I will agree that they're, yeah, they're a breed on their own. It's, it's, you can't compare them to Labradors. You can't really compare them to setters or um, golden retrievers. It's, it's still something separate. I like them, I must admit. Um, so tell me more about flat coat walkies then. It's, it's to get together with other flat, flatty owners. Um, so where are walks held? We do them all over the country. We have different groups in different areas, different counties. And uh, people meet up all over the country. They, whoever wants to uh, meet up, they just put an, uh, a post up on Facebook or they email me on the website and ask, can we do a walk there or there? And people just sign up. We have a group also in Germany now mm. and in Italy. So um, it's it's quite popular just because this breed is not so common. Yeah, yeah. And it is nice to get together with other people who share your enthusiasm for a particular breed, isn't it? It, it is. It, it goes even that far, even without the walkies, if we walk somewhere like like i said we walk on the beach and in the distance we spot uh, someone with a flat coat i think most owners will just head for each other and they will <laughs> yes. just go because the breed is so rare that okay oh it's a flat coat i have to say hi yes yeah definitely so how how often are flat coat walks going on then that all depends on the weather to be honest and the season like this summer uh, yes i just had one yesterday mm. One the week before, I think. And I think in this weather, it's about three, uh, three uh, every month could okay. be, or hmm. yeah, in the winter maybe once a month. Yeah, yeah. I bet that the dogs wouldn't mind doing more. I imagine. <laughs> but they're, 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 they're like any weather, so uh, yeah. as long as the owner is okay, yeah, they will happy. To, they will be happy going to anywhere. Yeah, yeah. So, sounds a bit sounds similar to a Labrador in that way. Um, now. You don't just walk and get together and have a good time. You raise money for charity, don't you, as well? Yeah, it, it started off just, like I said, just uh, to meet each other, but I wanted to give it a more, uh, more uh, a better purpose as well, uh, an additional purpose. We, we have Louis, we have a rescue. Mm. Uh, it's not a, a flat goal, but we had help from the IFRR, which is the Independent Flat Goal Retriever Rehoming. And that just gave me the idea, if you just collect money for the charity, that gives it that extra purpose. It's mm-hmm. a brilliant charity. They, um, they do anything to, if, if there's a flat cold in need, they do anything to try and get them rehomed. Uh, if someone needs petrol money to, to, to collect their flat cold and they can't, flat cold uh, retriever rescue can help. So they need they need all the support they can get. It's all dedicated to the breed. So a flat coat rescue is ideal. Yeah, 
Yeah. I, I do like the fact, you know, I, I, I like to know about and hear about specific breed um, rescues like that because quite often people will either like the look of or they've lived with a particular breed before and then, you know, they might want a partic- that, that particular breed again. So to have that breed-specific rescue I think is a really good thing, isn't it? Yeah, and of course there are not many flat goats around again. Mm. Uh, uh, there's not many rescues about EDBF, the Fat Gold Retrieval Society as well. And I think uh, it's just the IFRR, IFRR that uh, is uh, the other Fat Gold Rescue. So, yeah, yeah. they do need uh, all the help uh, they can get. Yeah, I bet. And is it is it all flat coats who come along? Or, for example, if you've got a flat coat, but you've also got another breed of dog, can you can you bring that sort of sibling dog along as well? Absolutely, absolutely. They can just come along and they'll be called uh, honorary flat goats. <laughs> so, uh, you will find as well most dogs that live with flat goats, they start to behave like a flat coat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so they fit in. <laughs> <laughs> the looks don't matter. Yeah, lovely. We even have uh, some few tiny little dogs that behave like the big dogs and just... <laughs> just go along and they don't care if they're getting jumped on yeah uh, uh, yeah it's fantastic yeah oh lovely see in my experience little dogs often think they're much much bigger than they are we had um, a Bichon Frise who was convinced she was a huge dog to be re- reckoned with you know and she was quite puzzled if a big dog trod on her and think she'd be quite sort of how did that happen because I'm quite big you know so I think sometimes big dogs think, think they're, some, they're sort of more like a lap dog size don't they Oh, these ones are flat coats. Are they are lap dogs? Yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's quite a fair size. It's slightly bigger than Labradors, and mm. they do. Some of them do come and lay on your lap, and you you feel kind of guilty to to move. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> I bet. I bet. So, what inspired you to start flat coat walkies? Well, we got our first flat proper flat coat. Uh, it's Perry. Um, it's nearly five. Hmm. And I said to our breeder, to his breeder, is there anything in place like walks? Because we see everywhere a golden retriever walks, dual walks. You do hear about them. There's nothing about this breed. So I just thought, let's just start one and uh, see uh, see what happens. And uh, here we are now. And we have over a thousand members now in wow. five years. Still growing. So uh, yeah, the website is also growing. So can't be any more happy really with that and we have a yearly walk as well um, in Norfolk and uh, we did the first one last September and we had about 76 dogs wow so I think that's the record of the most flat coated retrievers together I think yeah yeah oh and do any particular walks or any incidents sort of stick in your mind that you've as as fun or as striking for whatever reason you know along the way on all those walks Obviously, the, the mega walk, because you go to the mega walk and you stand there in the middle and you see them coming from all different directions, all black dots and liver dots, because uh, uh, they come in black and liver, so uh, you see them coming from all sides. It's it's a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. What struck me as well is the, the spirit of the flat goat. The owners have often the same spirit, and you see oh, one of the first walks we did, it's, uh, it was a bit touching, uh, there was an old dog, I think she was about 14 years old, and she was literally on her last breath. And they took her along, 
because they wanted her to have the best time ever till her last day. And she had lots of fun that day. Uh, she did some swimming. And a couple of days after, she had a last swim, and then that was it. Yeah. In the, the dog spirit is they just have fun till their last breath. Mm. And you want to support that. And I think that is fantastic. It's touching, but I think that those are the good, sad stories, if you know what I mean. It's, yes. Yeah. We can learn. I always think we could learn so much from our dogs because, as you say, the, I, 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 you know, a lot of gun dogs sort of, and, and a lot of dogs indeed, have that attitude of sort of get as much fun out of life as you can and they don't sit around and worry and sort of... We met, um, it happened to be, a, it was a Spaniel yesterday um, who lost a leg only two months ago, unfortunately, in a road traffic accident. And the dog, you know, there was no sort of... I, I felt very, oh dear obviously towards the dog, but the dog was sort of up and having fun and getting around on three legs perfectly fine. And they just yeah. accept it, don't they, and get on with life. My, my, my leg is gone, okay, that's, that's one yeah. uh, has less, and uh, just get on. Yeah. <laughs> what are you sad about? Oh. Uh, yeah, it's another flat coat that I know, um, uh, that is a tripe, that was a tripod, because he's gone now as well. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of the, these flat coats do suffer with uh, the terrible sea. Uh, and uh, yes, yeah. he had his leg amputated, and uh, but he had a lovely life afterwards still. Yeah, yeah, it, they they do adapt. So I mean, as you say, there's so many dogs nowadays are you know suffering from cancer. But I think the good news is because I did an interview with um, the guy from the Animal Health Trust, who's um, sort of researching into the best ways of treating. Um, dogs with cancer and again there's so many breakthroughs being made in that field it is amazing and you know unfortunately so many dogs are breeds are affected by it but they do just get on with life and it's it's how we should live isn't it it is uh, i always try and say to people it's our job uh to give the dogs the best life they get they live less long than we do yeah it's our duty and they just think that they just yeah they just get on with everything it's um, unfortunately, uh, flat coats, they used to die around nine, nine years old or something like that. So they don't get old that, that much. But luckily, there's a big group of uh, double-digit flat coats, as we call them. Yeah. And uh, it gives some hope for, for the breed. Yeah. It'll bring hope. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you obviously love your your flat coats as a breed um so is it is it just perry you've got or do you have other flat coats i have perry and then i have freddy mm. uh he's a flat coat and i have louis who's a golden retriever cross and behaves too much like a springer spaniel so <laughs> i think that's what he's crossed with <laughs> yeah he's black so he fits in as well yes yeah oh they uh, sound lovely yeah so you obviously en enjoy your, your flat coats yeah, well, it's funny because before I had Perry, I had a Dalmatian cross. Hmm. That And uh, I was looking, uh, my girlfriend said, uh, so it's time to look for, for, for a dog. That would be her first dog. Uh, so it's time to look for a dog. And somehow we uh, were thinking about breeds and all, and then we talked about um, golden retrieves. And so I think things quite boring. I needed a dog that puts me on my toes mm. 
but I can also chill when I need to because I have my own back problems and all that. So uh, they need to be able to chill when I need to chill and do whatever and get me out there uh, because they need to get out, of, obviously. But it keeps me on, on my toes and with a little bit of humor. And I was thinking about my previous dog, Dalmatian uh, Cross Flat Colt, Timbo. And he was a pain in the backside. <laughs> and the funny thing is, I loved it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one of the funny stories I, I can tell is that he jumped out of the, the first floor window. <gasps> Gosh. Just, just to go and chase the cows next door in the field. <laughs> oh, dear. And he all rolling, in, uh, rolling something there. And then he came back smelly. <laughs> because he kept me on my toes, he kept me busy. It's something I needed, and that's why I was thinking then the flat gold, the flat gold retriever. Yeah, yeah. And you've never looked back? I never looked back, no. <laughs> no, no. Okay, so when I, when I encounter someone sort of that you know, really knows about a particular breed, I do like to sort of pick their brains and um, you know, find out more about that breed. Because I think you know, it's authoritative you know, um, knowledge that's come from you know, living with the breed is really useful and honest information I think is, is really good to get out there. So um, it, it sounds like flat coats, obviously, we, we, they're very lively to live with. Um, what would sort of... Are they a one-person dog? Are they a good family dog? What, what kind of dog are they like to live with? I would say they are a family dog, but they can also belong to the one person. I think they adapt uh, quite easy to whatever situation you put them in. So, um, yeah, like I said, Perry is actually my dog. He doesn't take much notice of anyone else. So if I would be on my own and I had Perry, he would be, <laughs> he would be happy as well. Yeah, oh. he's, he's adapting to that perfectly as well. So they love they love anyone. So yeah, yeah. Okay, now with with um, talent shows that we've we've had on television, you know, BGT and various things, um, and we've we've seen what amazing things dogs can achieve with with some support and some training. I do find that a lot of people want to do more with their dogs. So what's training like with a flat coat? They are very intelligent. Uh, they're silly. They mm. are. They're very clever. So they cannot outsmart you a bit. <laughs> um, not as much as border collies. But yeah. <laughs> um, but they, they are very clever. If you start from early age, um, they tend to sit from the first weeks you have them. They learn everything very quickly. But they also learn. Um, how you are, and they will adapt to that as well. So, mm. yeah, like uh, Perry, Perry um, for example, uh, I make him when I had him on my own. I made him sit, lay down for the ball, for example, and he still knows that bit. Yeah. That, that he had to wait for the ball until I threw it. But now we have three dogs, and they all want the same ball. So what Perry does now is laying down, waiting for the ball, but the other two get the ball, and he's still waiting for the ball. Oh, bless him. <laughs> so, um, they, are, they are very trainable, I will say that. And they, are, they do need a job. As in, um, these are gun dogs, obviously. But we, we don't uh, do, uh, we don't train them as gun dogs. We, we don't show them. We, we take them to the beach. Every day we make them fetch in the water. And they love it. But 
they're great at agility, as a gong dog. They're good as um, there's a few canine partners, as, uh, canine partner dogs as well. Hmm. Gosh. Um, so they they really do. They are very adaptable, aren't they? I think they're bred for, for any situation. Um, they're water dogs. Uh, they're on land. Uh, any situation you throw them in, they will adapt. They have no fright for anything. Mm-hmm. Except, for, um, except for when there's someone on the dog, that's a different uh, thing. But, uh, it, can, it can give them any job. Uh, there's people who do uh, sniff work with them as well. Wow. Um, Brilliant. It is just... It's just because it's not that popular to do these uh, competitions with because they can be a little bit stubborn and do the, the things their way. And that's why they're not the most popular breed for certain tasks, but they get the job done. Yeah. Just in their way. Yeah. Because they they think, oh, this is a better way. I'll do it this way. <laughs> yeah. It's that intelligence, isn't it? Which is, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. It can be great and it can be a bit of a challenge. What's the best way to motivate them then? You know, if, if, if they can be a little bit stubborn, is, are they food motivated? Is it play? Is it praise? What's the best way? Excitement and treats. You don't tell, oh, Perry, come here. It's like, oh, Perry, come here. It's, you really have to make it fun for them and they will come begging to you, for example. Uh, yeah, he's coming now already, see? <laughs> um, yeah, you have, yeah it's, it's excitement. You have to do everything with joy and they will take everything over. You find it fun, they will find it fun. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, Perry is ball obsessed, so you get a ball and he does everything for you. Freddy here is uh, treat obsessed; he will do everything. Um, yeah. Mm. So they they can be quite individual, then, can't they? It's about finding what works for that particular flat coat, isn't it? I think it? the main key with the flat coat is excitement. Yeah, yeah. Especially because they're that stubborn. If they run off to another dog, you're not going to shout there uh, with a with a rough voice, hey, come here, come here. No, you do it very excited. Yeah. <laughs> you do it, your silliest voice ever and they will come. <laughs> yeah, smashing. Now, they do have, you, you will tell me better than, than I know, but sort of, would you call their coat sort of a medium length coat? But it's going to, I would presume, it's going to need a fair amount of grooming. So how much grooming do they need? A brush a week. Yeah. So it's not that much. It's just there. Once a week brushing uh, should be enough. Yeah. Okay. And it doesn't. You don't find the coat tangles or anything. It did. They, they do tangle underneath their ears quite quite a bit. Um, that's the main problem, I think. If you don't brush their ears, that's where it gets tangled underneath. Yeah. Yeah. So is that something you need to get the dog used to, sort of early on? Yes, and that's why we went wrong with Freddy, yeah? Because <laughs> he absolutely hates it. Oh, bless, yeah, yeah. But uh, will, he do, will he do it for treats now? No. No. <laughs> so we failed. <laughs> we oh. failed in that part. Perry loves it. So yeah. uh, he, This one is just, uh, it's called Feisty Freddy for a reason. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're, they all have the different likes and dislikes, don't they? Um... And what about food then? We said that some of them can be sort of food motivated. Do they, are they um, sort of very into their food? And, and what's the best way of feeding them, in your opinion? Um, well, we are convinced they're all feeders. Mm. Um, I think you had a chat about that before as well, uh, uh, about raw feeding. Yeah. So I don't have the detail uh, there. But, um, 
yeah, I would I would give them a high energy diet, a, a diet for high energy dogs. If you do feed kibble. Yeah. Okay. Um. So obviously they're they're a dog that you've come to love and sort of you know live with and recommend. What would you say, sort of, if if someone's out there listening and thinking about buying or adopting a flat coat, what's what's what do they really need to know about this breed, Peter? I think if you if you don't have a sense of humour, don't get a flat coat. <laughs> if you have the time and patience to train them, that's great. They're not a dog to stay alone all day either. So I would I would preferably have someone. Uh, at home most of the day. Mm. Um, they can be quite boisterous for kids, so again, train them for that, but they're fine with kids uh, in any other aspect. There's no, nothing actually evil in a flat coat. They prefer to lick than to bite. Um, they're very much in your face. So if you, you don't like your, lick, your face being licked, don't get a flat, <laughs> flat coat. Yeah, they're very dependent, as in, I've got now a dog on me. Yeah. Aww. They like to have their, their snuggle. Yes. Aww. They like to follow you around. Uh, so, yeah, it's not a dog that you can just keep in a corner, say, I have a dog. He has to lay there in a corner. They love their affection. They're, they're very human-orientated. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they sound they sound really lovely. This is this is my kind of dog. I have to say, I um, often when I'm um, interviewing, um, I'll say the breed, but when I'm interviewing greyhound um, owners, often they'll sort of say to me, "Oh, I don't know, I've got the dog," which is is great in some ways. But I do like a dog that I know I've got, even if they are a pain in your in your backside. You know, that bit of humour and bit of character, I like they that. Need to keep you on your toes. Yes. I like a dog to be a dog. Yes. And yeah. with that, I mean, if it rolls in something, I'll let them roll, except, uh, except when it's a dead seal, because we live at the beach. Wow. <laughs> and Louis, uh, Louis likes to roll on the dead seal sometimes. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> but if they roll or they jump in the mud and they roll in the mud, I'll leave them be. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you smile on their faces. They are a dog. That's what dogs do. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to give them a certain amount of leeway, haven't you, to sort of, yeah, just to be a dog. Um, do you think we, we've sort of covered, you know, done justice to the breed, or is there anything else that you'd like to say about them? Um, I think what I was just say, if, if you are looking for a flat coat, obviously do a lot of research. Because like I said, there can be a handful. You have to, they have to... You have to be prepared. They have to have a bit of sense of humour. Be prepared for the horrible sea, uh, the sea word. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, what saying that, Peter? What other health? Sorry to interrupt. I've just asked you to what else. But what about health? Are there any health tests that people should be looking for? Should be you know asking for to see results of? Well, the breeder normally does the uh, eye test, mm. and I think they do uh, hip scores as well. But like I said, do your research with every breeder. Yes. Uh, if people are even welcome to join a, a flat coat walk, if they want to uh, see the breed, if they want to see the breed and meet the breed and see what they like, they can always come along and, uh, and see what they like and see if it's the right dog for them. Yeah. Because I can imagine it's not the right dog for just anyone. Like I said, an old lady, uh, I mean, sitting in a, in a flat 
and in an apartment or, or whatever, it's not going to be good for them, for example. Yeah. You have to be prepared to give them a wash once in a, a, a shower once in a while, for example. <laughs> yeah. That's made me think that sort of, if you're thinking about a, a breed and you really want to see them as they really are, you know, not sort of nicely presented in, in a breeder's house or in a, in a rescue centre, but it would be a really good idea to actually go and have a walk with a walking group and see them when they're all boisterous and, you know, covered in mud and friendly. That's a, that's yeah. a really good way to get to know the breed, isn't it? I, I think so too. And it's also, you meet the, char- the character of the flat owner as well, because I think most of the flat owners are just as silly. I see, if you fit in the group, you will fit in with a flat Yeah. And actually, saying that, the, the natures of different dog owners, it, it does vary, because I remember it, we went to cover... Um, a Great Dane show. And Great Dane people have such, you know, a strong sense of humour. We laughed so much that day. And I'm sure most dog owners, you know, do have a sense of humour. But it really struck me. And it does, I do think that different breeds attract different people. And maybe flat coats do attract, you know, people with sense of humour. Because you have to have a sense of humour to live with a dog with a sense of humour. Yeah, of course, yeah. Well, I don't know if you heard the story about Fenton. No. Oh, they went viral. Fenton, the the flat coat, I think it was a flat coat cross, but um, he ran to a, a park in London chasing deer. Oh, yes, yes. So, yes. Um, if you have a flat coat, you have to be be prepared to deal with such things. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Internet <laughs> infamy. <laughs> yes. Oh, bless. We, lucky we didn't have anything happening like that, but it's just an extreme example of... Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, the dog jumping out of the top window, I mean, mm, yeah. still we love, and still we love the breed. I mean, yes. okay, it's not good, but you're prepared and you love the breed because you're dedicated and you, yeah, whatever they do, it's funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do with it. Oh. It's not going to put you off the breed. Yeah. Oh, you've you've really you've made them sound lovely and and very affectionate, and nice dogs. Um, where can people find out more about the walking group then on online? Where can they find that? Well, the um, the website is http://flatcoatwalkies slash slash flatcoatwalkies one word dot co dot uk, and uh, there will be there's links on there to uh, an event calendar. So you can see where the, the walks are at the moment. There's a link uh, to the Facebook group as well. So you can join and ask for walks. We have a Twitter, but it's not that used that much, I think. And, and anybody listening, if you do end up at, on one of the, uh, the flat coat walkies with your flat coat or you, you're inspired to go and you know, either buy or adopt um, a, a flatty, um, do let us know. Um, Peter, thanks ever so much. You've made them sound a lovely breed and uh, the best of luck with um, flat coat walkies. Uh, thank you very much. Peter also told me why his flat coats are extra special to him and about an exciting event coming up in September. I'm diagnosed with uh, social anxiety. Yeah. And the thing that actually pulled me quite back up was actually the mega walk last year because I saw those people everyone went on it was all about the dogs I was really afterwards I was just saying yeah. I all this and I, and I had to talk to all these people I did all this it was actually an achievement for me yeah yeah oh. and that 
fantastic. Uh, with all those people, you meet all those people from different class, amid, uh, from rich people, poor people, any people. You really meet them all, and we all get on. Yeah, yeah. And that that takes it all away from me. All all that stress. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Dogs dogs are amazing, aren't they? The power of dogs and what they can get us to do that you wouldn't do without them, you know, is, is just incredible. Oh. And I think one more thing. Yeah. If uh, anyone uh, is interested in the mega walk in Norfolk, because people come from all over the country, they book a holiday for a week here, and they stay here for a week. We have a whole week of walks arranged in Norfolk, every day a different walk. 3rd of September, we started in Great Yarmouth. We have a big buffet as well at the local cafe, Munchies Cafe. Mm. We start the first day with a big, massive walk. And everyone who wants to stay for the week, we have a walk arranged every day in a different part of Norfolk. Oh, wow. So, so if you want to join join and book a holiday near Great Yarmouth from the, thir- the week of the 3rd September... He certainly made flatcoat retrievers sound great, didn't he? If you already have a flatcoat and you'd like to go on one of the walks or start one, we have the link to flatcoatwalkies.co.uk on the Dogcast Radio site, as well as their Facebook page and a link to Independent Flatcoated Retriever Rehoming. If you enjoy walks with a group devoted to the breed you share your life with, we'd love to hear about it. 96% of pet owners say their dog makes them smile at least once a day. We've had some stories on Dogcast Radio over the years where dogs have eaten weird things, but a story caught my eye recently where a dog ate her owner's teeth. It happened in Queensland, Australia, where Kieran Butler left his false teeth next to a piece of pizza he'd been eating and went to bed. In the middle of the night, the sound of the dog eating woke Kieran, but he assumed one of his dogs was simply finishing off the pizza and went back to sleep. However, in the morning, he discovered that not only was the pizza missing, but his dentures were in pieces and scattered over his lounge floor. Kieran is currently wearing dentures he was given in the army 30 years ago, until he can afford another set. But his reaction is commendable, because rather than being angry, he commented, I can't knock the dog. All she wanted was a piece of my pizza, so I just patted her. If only all owners were so understanding. But that's it for this episode. So until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident dogcastradio. That's all one word, dogcastradio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. How are a dog and a marine biologist alike? One wags a tail, the other tags a whale.